I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my arms and keep it company. I'd like to see the world for once, all standing hand in hand, and hear them echo through the hills our peace throughout the land. It's wonderful, isn't it? Tugs on the heartstrings, people of all different uh, colours, races, cultures, backgrounds, stood together on the top of a mountain, bringing the world together in peace and harmony, holding a bottle of Coca-Cola in their hand. Fantastic. Yet we all know, don't we, that this picture of this 1970s TV commercial, it's not real. Even though some very clever marketing people want us to believe that the world would be a much better place with a bottle of fizzy pop in your hand, we know that that isn't true. Yet how we perceive something, even though it might not be right, it does become reality to us. It might not be true, but as far as we're concerned, it is. We may misunderstand. We may only see half the picture. We may even be deceived. It's very easy, isn't it, to, be, to become out of touch with what is real. So when our perception is warped, when our perception is twisted, our response can be also. And the writer of this psalm, Asaph, was in exactly this place. He looks back in an autobiographical sense to a time when he got his wires crossed, his spiritual wires, when things just frankly didn't add up. Asaph looked around him and he basically said, if God is good and if God is just and if God punishes the wicked and rewards goodness, if God is all-powerful, then why? Does God allow such wickedness to continue on earth? Not only do people get away with it, but they actually flourish. They seem exempt from the troubles that befall others. In other words, honesty is the best policy. You must be joking. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. Have you ever felt or ever thought, God... What is happening here in this situation? It doesn't make sense. What's going on? Everywhere I look, other people are doing really well. Maybe at work, people are getting promotion ahead of you, but they don't even know how to treat people well. All they do is look after number one. Maybe at school, at college or at university, you pore over your books diligently. And yet Mr. Wikipedia gets away with blatant acts of plagiarism. What about our children? 
We do all that we can to bring our children up well. We nurture them. We care for them. We bring them up the best that we can, and yet they go off the rails. And little Jimmy down the road, he was dragged up, dragged up. And look at him now, he's turned into a respectable young man. Nobody is exempt from these feelings, whether it revolves around our health, whether it revolves around our wealth, whether it revolves around our status in society or turmoil in relationships. Why is life so unfair? Even Asaph here, a godly man, a man who served as the worship leader in the temple, author of 12 Psalms, he struggles with this. Yet Asaph writes for us here a very personal psalm filled with gut-wrenching honesty. So as we look at this psalm today, I want us also to be honest. Honest with ourselves, but also honest with God. Because we all either have had, or we're going through, or we will go through times when our perception becomes blurred, and we ask, as Asaph did, why, God, do wicked people live with some protective bubble around them? Why do righteous people suffer so much? What's happening? Well, let's see what is happening. Let's look at this psalm and let's see what we can learn together this afternoon about how to get the right perspective. Asaph starts off in verse 1 with an introduction. This introduction is also a summary statement to the whole psalm. And in fact, when you look at it, it's a pretty theological conclusion in and of itself. Verse 1 says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. No matter what, God, and God alone, is good. Now this is a certainty that we can all count on, but yet, yet this is also the crux of the problem, isn't it? If God is good, and he is, then shouldn't we receive more good things in our lives? Shouldn't we at the very least receive more blessings from God than those around us who don't even care about him. But after starting off with what he knows is true, Asaph looks around from a human perspective and he wonders what is going on. Verses 2 to 16 show us the human perspective. The human perspective. No doubt Asaph had been taught time and time again that God is good, but yet his life experience seems so radically different. In verse 2 he says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. He was close to losing his confidence in God. His confidence in God's goodness, because as he looked at life from a human perspective, he saw four things. Firstly, he saw the prosperity of those around him. 
the prosperity. Look with me at what verse 3 says. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Notice that Asaph, he's not actually upset with the wicked, but he's jealous of them. He sees what they have and he wants it. They're prosperous while he struggles. People often question God's goodness when they see this. This could include not only financial prosperity, but other types of prosperity as well. Maybe physical health prosperity. And it is difficult to reconcile this with a good and sovereign God. In fact, it's impossible to reconcile this when we view the wicked person's prosperity from a human perspective. Notice also in verse 4 and 5 that Asaph saw secondly the peace of the wicked. He wonders why life seems so good for those who have nothing to do with God. Why is life so good? The verses say they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued or troubled by human ills. Here they are, living life in the fast lane without a care in the world. No struggles, no burdens, not plagued. Life painless and easy. Somehow immune to what life throws up at them. Charles Spurgeon and a preacher from the 1800s, he once said, those who deserve the hottest hell often get the warmest nest. And it's true, isn't it? We see that, don't we? When we look uh, around us, life does seem so easy for some. And yet for others, it seems just so hard. Things seem impossible, difficult. That could describe so many people that we might know. Christians, people who run hard after God. And yet others, others... Their lives are like a bed of roses. Always keeps coming up sweet. Now clearly nobody, no one, has a trouble-free life. But the point being made here is that those who are far from God and living their lives poles apart from what God wants. They seem to be contented and peaceful whilst those seeking to live a righteous life they battle with family problems, times of sorrow and fears and anxiety and, and trouble. So again, Asaph shows how, when looking at the situation, one can doubt God's goodness. And we can. So far we've seen the prosperity and the peace of those around. And now in verses 6 through to 12... Asaph describes, he sees, the pride of those around him. You see, as Asaph looks closer, he sees uh, that the people who are often the most prosperous and live the most peace, peaceful lives are also the most arrogant. Their pride glitters like an expensive necklace, as he describes. It's obvious 
and it's flaunted for everybody to see. They think so highly of themselves and so little of others. Look at verse 7. The evil conceit of their minds know no limits. They have all that they want. There are no boundaries in their lives. Yet Asaph, he goes on further. They don't use their position in life for good, but rather to oppress, as verse 8 says. And he goes on further still. Verses 9 and 11 show that they even speak against God. And their boasting and their pride has an impact around them. The popular. Now you may well be sat here this afternoon thinking, this is terrible. Surely not. How can anybody follow these people? How can anybody look up to these people? But many of us do, don't we? We do look up to the famous and we look up to the financially secure who yet live their lives with no boundaries and who try to do whatever whatever they want, wherever they want. We can idolise those people who are arrogant and speak out against God. Maybe it's the footballer who sleeps around with prostitutes. Maybe it's the movie star who just goes from one relationship to another, to another, to another. Maybe it's the musician, gifted as they are, who just lives their lives constantly in drink and drugs. There may well be some people here today and you're saying, why should I live for Jesus? When I'm doing all right, thank you very much. And when everyone around me is doing all right, thank you very much. But the question that we must ask surely is this. Is it more important to be popular? Or as verse 1 says, to be pure in heart. We can start to see the picture before us, can't we? We can start to understand why Asaph's feet, as it describes, had almost slipped. Why he had nearly lost his foothold in trusting in God's goodness and fairness. How can it be that these prideful people, of the very ones, as verse 12 says, are always carefree and they increase in wealth? We can understand why people struggle with doubts. Because looking at life from a human perspective will lead us to wavering in our faith. Life will seem unfair. And this is where Asaph was up to. And now we see the fourth element to his human perspective. We now see him move on into self-pity. Having seen the prosperity and the peace and the pride of those other people around him, he now sees that there is no advantage to living a holy and righteous life. So he says in verse 13, Surely, in vain, have I kept my heart pure. In vain, have I washed my hands in innocence. 
thinks that he's been wasting his time. After all, it's done him no good. He sees the struggles and the difficulties that plague him day after day after day. And he delves further and further into self-pity. What started out in verse 2 as envy has resulted in agonizing turmoil, confusion and self-doubt. He's in a spiritual warfare and even recognizes this. In looking back, he sees in verse 15 that speaking out the way that he had felt would have meant betraying God's people, God's children. We all at some time in our lives, just like Asaph, we will doubt God's goodness. All of us will at some point question God. Question what is happening. We'll ask why. Why? And yet we see that this is a terrible, terrible burden for Asaph. The human perspective on life will give you a heavy heart, or as Esaph describes it, oppressive. There's no joy. There's no peace. In fact, the exact opposite, sorrow and despair. And with this, such perplexity and sense of hopelessness, Asaph is now drawn to the sanctuary of God. Asaph recognises his need to transform his perspective. He gets, if you like, a reality check. We see this in verse 17. Verse 17 is a turning point in this psalm. And it's a turning point for Asaph. You see, we get the right perspective when we humbly seek God. When we're reminded of who he is, when we're reminded of his character, his power, when we're perplexed by the problems of God's providential rule, we shouldn't look with envy to other people around us, or we shouldn't delve into self-pity, nor should we somehow lapse into despair and, and, and throw the towel in, but we should look to God. Because our problems will seem far greater when we're narrow-minded and short-sighted, when we have the wrong perspective. Have you ever faced a problem and wondered what on earth to do? A problem that may seem so complex, difficulties that just seem so immense... And yet further down the line, you wonder why you had so many sleepless nights. You wonder why you got so churned up. I'm an expert at that. I've got a gold medal in that. We all need to have the right perspective. And the reality is that the problem of the providence of God, the fairness of God, the justice of God... It might not be solved in our time here on earth. We only need to look back in history, don't we? To see so many evil people who end up living uh, till a ripe old age. 
in relative luxury. In the world's eyes, they didn't get their just desserts. But as we look to God, and as we see God's judgment of sin, we also see his solution for sin. And so we shouldn't focus on the present, but we should focus on the eternal. Or as Beaver from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe puts it, wrongs will be righted and evil avenged and good vindicated in the final judgment. You see, Asaph was able to grasp the final destiny of these people. Asaph was able to adjust his vision. And as verses 18 through to 28 now shows, Asaph was able to see the heavenly perspective and fully appreciate the utter seriousness of a final destiny without God. He's able to transform his perspective from the human to the heavenly. From the human to the heavenly. So Asaph's reality is changed and he's finally able to see the ruin of the wicked. In contrast to verse 2 where Asaph feels that he'd almost slipped, he realises that it is the wicked who are the ones who are on slippery ground. The reality is not prosperity and trouble-free living. They are one step away from destruction on the brink of hell. Judgment will come and it will be sudden and it will be complete. That is Asaph's new perspective, his heavenly perspective. Jonathan Edwards, a great 18th century preacher, puts it this way. The language and the terminology may well be old, but the message is still true. He said, O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the wrath of God. You hang by a thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. Strong language that we're not really used to in the 21st century. But this is a wake-up call for us because instead of looking at other people with longing, we should look at them with horror. Horror at their final destiny. Eternal punishment is a reality. The wrath of God is a reality. We may not see ourselves as wicked, but sin is a reality for each and every one of us. And so in ourselves, we are totally and utterly abhorrent to a pure and holy God. And yet God, God in his love and in his care, in his mercy towards us, loved you and I so much, as we've been singing this afternoon, that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross 
for us. In order to take the wrath of God, the just judgment of God, in our place. To take our punishment. Why? To change our destiny. To change our destiny. So what is our destiny? Where are we destined for? Where are you destined for? Don't, as verse 20 says, live your life as a dream. Because it could eventually turn into a nightmare. And as we come back to Asaph, we see that with this new outlook, he not only sees the ruin of the wicked, but he sees his own need for repentance. Look with me at what verse 21 says. He says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. A brute beast before you. <clears throat> if any of you have um, any pets, uh, we have a, a pet dog. And if it's anything like ours, it lives for the present and it lives for the here and now. And for our dog, that consists of two things. One, when it's going to be next fed. And two, chasing after squirrels in our back garden. Now you'll be pleased to know that it's never actually caught any. <clears throat> but I'm not suggesting that our very cute and cuddly little dog is a brute beast. But this is the difference. The difference that Asaph is coming from. Animals cannot contemplate the future. They're interested in when the net's going to be fed or walked. And then fed and walked. And then fed and walked. And Asaph, he realises that his perspective needed to change. Because he was like a brute beast. He behaved like an animal before God. Looking only to the here and the now. And he realised his stupidity. And so he repented. And so after confessing that he was embittered and senseless and ignorant, he testifies of the character of God. Asaph recognised the many blessings from God. From what we've seen in this psalm so far, verses 23 to 26 are absolutely amazing. Amazing. From his heavenly perspective, he sees God's presence. He sees God's protection. The truth that God is always with us. He holds us. We're his. That's worth far more than anything this world could have to offer. It's gold that we have a God like this. But Asaph goes on further in verse 24. We see God's guidance and God's glory. Just look at what verse 24 says. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Asaph knew that nothing, nothing was more valuable than what he already had. 
more valuable than health, more valuable than wealth, more valuable than any earthly pleasure. He came to the point of saying that even if he were to experience troubles and sickness, even if his flesh and his heart were to fail, he's still better off than those without God. Because as he says, God was the strength of his heart and would be his portion forever. And so in conclusion of this psalm, Asaph shows us two contrasting destinies. No longer does he look around uh, with envy at the people around him. He knows that they are destined to an eternity without God. He knows that the righteous will be near to God, as verse 28 says, because they have made the sovereign Lord their refuge, and so God is their portion forever. Now he knows that God's way is the only way. I'm sure that there are people here today who feel or have felt or will feel at some point like giving up. But it's important to do what Asaph did. Asking questions and questioning God is not wrong. As long as when we ask those questions we are pointed back to God, which is what Asaph did. Asaph started looking at life from a human perspective and he was filled with sorrow and his faith in God was weakened but then he transformed his perspective and he was filled with joy and he was filled with hope and his faith in God was strengthened so let's not focus on self but let's focus on God let's not get stuck in the present but let's strive for the future Let's not feel like we are slipping away, but rather know that we are secure in God's hands forever. Look at life with a heavenly perspective and say with Asaph, surely God is good. Surely God is good. We're now going to uh, conclude our time together in a slightly different way. We're going to actually listen uh, to a song being played for us uh, rather than sing ourselves. And this song is very much a modern take on what Asaph has to say in this psalm.